0: Welcome to Attitude, Knowledge, and Skill, the podcast outreach of AKS Firearms Instruction, addressing the essential needs of the whole shooter. Your host, Tom Bushy, addresses tips, tactics, and tantamount Second Amendment issues of the week. Class is now in session. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. My name is Tom Bushy, and we are looking back reviewing the week of January 22nd. We're going to be looking at considerations for concealed carry, police solidarity with armed citizens, and a little victory in Pennsylvania. We'll check out the mounting offensive against 2A in VA, a 1A and 2A assault, and lastly, we'll be looking at the bastion of freedom defenders in the United States, as well as a good guy with a gun story. Hey, I just want to let you know, I got my copy of Nikki Goser's book in the mail recently. I went to the uh, Crime Prevention Research Center and uh, gave them a donation and got in return an autographed copy from Nikki Goser herself. Heartfelt, uh, too tombushy, stay safe, or whatever it was she said. Anyway, it's a nice gesture. She has no idea who I am, but... I am happy to support her and her work and the work of the Crime Prevention Research Center. Uh, They have kind of joined forces because Nikki Goser's book really gets to the heart of the dangers of gun-free zones. So the title of the book, the full title is kind of long. Stalked and Defenseless, How Gun Control Helped My Stalker Murder My Husband in Front of Me. So it's not exactly a bedtime story for uh, the little ones, but it is a, a short book and uh, very personably written, and I can't wait to really get into it. I have to I have to finish up the book I'm reading right now, and then I'm bumping that up to next on my list, uh, because I really can't wait to hear her story and uh, tell you more about it once I have read it. So if you want to go to the Crime Prevention Research Center and donate money, because they're good. you know. They, they do studies and promote causes based on fact and statistics and studies that promote uh, the proliferation of the Second Amendment here in the United States. So I highly recommend both Nikki's book and the Crime Prevention Research Center. You know, we talk a lot here about muzzle awareness and attitude, knowledge, and skill. It is one of those uh, safety rules that is most easily neglected most easily violated and uh you know it has application of course just in adequate etiquette <laughs> <adequate. laughs> i crack myself up not just for etiquette and safety at the range like you know handling a gun handing a gun to a friend loading changing places at the uh, range stall don't fool around with a quote-unquote unloaded firearm etc that's all uh, of course, essential application of the muzzle awareness rule, and of course the muzzle awareness rule, for those of you that uh, that are new to the world of firearms, is simply don't let the business end of the gun point at anything you're not willing to destroy. Okay, So if you're at the range, it should point downrange at the targets. If you are anywhere outside of the range, it shouldn't point at anything that you don't want to put an end to okay so it is important these kinds of accidents or negligent discharges as i prefer to call them happen and injure people a lot of times just when that muzzle awareness rule is violated but it's this is also a consideration when you are choosing a method to carry your firearm concealed or just on your person for reasons of personal defense so when when you carry, or when you think about carrying where you think you're going to be carrying, and I'm talking about inside the waistband, at 3 o'clock, on your hip, on the small of your back, appendix, uh, in your uh, in your handbag, what have you. Uh, are you, are you muzzling yourself? Are you muzzling yourself just by where you carry it? But even more importantly, how easy would it be to muzzle yourself as you are drawing from your position of carry uh, and getting your your gun to, uh, position number three, you know, what I call a uh, compressed ready, uh, ready to present to your, to your threat. So we're not necessarily talking about appendix. That's, that's the one that, uh, a lot of us guys kind of fear. It's, it's been, um, getting more and more popularity amongst guys realizing that it really is a pretty safe way to carry your uh, your weapon if you're using a proper holster and, and proper technique so i'm not necessarily talking about while it's in the holster but as you draw from the holster and bring the gun up to what i call the compressed ready position position number three for those who teach uh drawing from from concealed in uh, stages Uh, compressed ready would be with with your hands both hands married to the gun but it's still up against the middle of your chest before you press forward and uh, have yourself in that isosceles stance so getting from holster to compressed ready how easy is it for you will it be for you to avoid muzzling yourself two positions uh, that concern me the most uh, when i consider how easy it would be to muzzle yourself would be carrying in the small of your back, okay, with uh, which is really popular, especially you know in Hollywood and whatnot, where you you tuck the gun uh, right in the center of your back behind you. Now I have a lot of problems with that position myself for a bunch of reasons. One is getting to your gun in a hurry. Okay, that's not. That's not a real easy, natural position where you can go to quickly. But also consider, as you pull out of that position from directly behind yourself and then bring around to that compressed, ready position, how likely are you to flag yourself, your your side, your love handles, for those of us that have them, uh, your, your side, your body, your torso, as you're bringing that gun around from the small of your back to the front of your front i say it's very easy to um, flag yourself in that position and when you are drawing in a hurry under pressure all the more a concern the other position i think most about uh, when i think about flagging yourself on the draw is the uh, shoulder holster under your arm shoulder holster which would be really popular like with uh you know james bond type people you know they wear the blazer and they wear the shoulder holster under the blazer it's convenient it's comfy because you don't have something stuck inside your waist and some people that may be the best position to carry if you are you know considerably overweight and and carrying inside your waistband is is not really practical maybe you could get it in there but but actually, withdrawing from the holster would be cumbersome. Well, the shoulder holster, you know, may be your best option, but think about going under your arm to pull a firearm out and then get to that compressed ready position. It is almost impossible, unless you throw your support arm straight up in the air, it's almost impossible not to flag the inside of your arm while you're withdrawing that gun from the shoulder holster. There's some, uh, some uh, pretty high traffic arteries there inside your arm and your upper arm and uh, if you were to uh, shoot yourself uh, during the draw from the shoulder carry position that uh, that could spell a disaster for you okay so that is our concealed carry uh, considerations the big factors are for concealed carry things to consider is accessibility Concealability, your fashion choices, and as I've been talking about, your ability to safely draw and present. Uh, you can carry concealed, you can carry deeply concealed, where absolutely no one has any idea at all, no matter how close they are, uh, that you're con- carrying a concealed weapon. But it can be so concealed that it's not really accessible, that you have to undo a bunch of things to get to it. It's a bit of an exaggeration, I think. Uh, but accessibility, concealability, fashion, for instance, if you decide to do ankle carry, you might decide against wearing those skinny jeans that you're so proud of how you fit in. Okay. It's, it's not going to be very concealable with that fashion choice. So just some things for you to think about, especially for those of you that are desirous of carrying your weapon concealed, but haven't actually done it yet. And of course, I would encourage you to contact me at AKSFI.com or email me at safeshooter at AKSFI.com by email. And uh, we can schedule a private or semi-private course of the Concealed Carry 1 course here at AKS. Uh, Yeah, I highly recommend it. Please don't carry, concealed, or really handle firearms at all without the proper education and training. Well, two police associations, both having to do with the southern states, one was called the Virginia Police Benevolent Association and the Southern States Police Benevolent Association, have uh, jointly issued a statement last week. In that statement, these police associations said, quote, We know that a well-armed, well-trained, law-abiding citizen is our best friend. And these are exactly the people New York billionaire Michael Bloomberg and Governor Ralph Northam want to disarm. I say that because I I want to always keep before us, the 2A community and and the concealed carry movement, that you know we say you know when seconds matter the police are there in minutes and we always need to specify that's not a knock against the police we are not anti police but the reality is the police can't be everywhere at all times and we even had that story that we talked about here on the podcast last week in Arizona where a state trooper was saved by a good guy with a gun on the highway who had been shot And uh, the trooper had been shot and was grappling with his assailant. And uh, there was a good guy with a gun, civilian, who came to his rescue. And the police officer credited that citizen with saving his life. So we want to always put out there that we like the police. We're in favor of the police. We are not taking place of the police. But hearing the police say things like, Uh, these people are our best friends. It's a nice affirmation that they see it the same way that we do. So police standing in solidarity, particularly with the citizens in Virginia, uh, condemning proposed confiscation of firearms and uh, laws that would make it difficult for citizens to exercise their right to self-defense. Appreciate that. Hopefully, we will never have to find out if uh, any of these law enforcement officers would would cave if they were issued uh, issued orders from the government to confiscate weapons, whether they go door to door or what have you, uh, that's where the rubber meets the road for those guys when their very livelihoods are threatened. Some of these guys they've wanted to be in law enforcement all their lives, that's all they've ever known, that's all they've ever trained for. And the idea of losing their job because they are defying orders to disarm citizens, it it's a challenge. It's a real challenge for them and their values and their commitment. Um, I believe that most of our law enforcement would indeed refuse to confiscate firearms from law abiding citizens unjustly. Um, but you never do know. Let's hope we never find out. So, thank you, uh, Southern State Police uh, Benevolent Association, for uh, your support of the uh, well-armed citizen. Well, of course, we are alluding to, in that story, the Virginia Democrat legislature and government and their onward assault of Second Amendment rights of the citizens of Virginia in one day thursday of last week seven gun control bills passed the house of delegates they are as followed hb2 which is a universal background check it bans loans and gifts between friends you know just recently i have been uh, as i conduct the nra basic pistol course which you can sign up for just contact me and i can give you the nra basic pistol course uh, part of the requirements for teaching that course is that you learn how to handle a single action revolver. Okay. We cover single action, double action, semi-automatic, but, but a small part of the course is how to load and unload cock and decock a single action revolver. Well, I didn't have one. A friend of mine was very good uh, and kind to loan me his. He had one, he hadn't been using so he loaned me it was kind of like a, on an indefinite loan and just recently thank you Vince for um, deciding that uh, it's no longer a loan he just gave it to me and you know what he had to do to do that he had to say here's my old single action revolver you can keep it that's all he had to do and I'm appreciative of that The alternative would be, under universal background checks, we would have to go somewhere, pay for a background check to prove that I am who he already knows I am, and allow him to give me that gun. It is, by the way, already illegal, okay, this is just one bill that we're talking about in Virginia, and I'm going off, Uh, it is already illegal uh, for Brother Vince to give me or sell me a gun if he has reasonable knowledge that I'm ineligible to lawfully own a gun, that I'm a a convicted felon, or if I have certain mental health issues. Uh, It's already against the law for him to do that. So anyway, Universal Backgrounds Check, HB2 has passed the House of Delegates. HB9, where it is uh, law that you must report stolen guns. HB421, which allows localities to adopt and enforce their own gun laws, so you go to Virginia and Virginia would have really strict gun laws and then go to um, you know Richmond, Virginia, and they could have even more strict gun laws, and you would really have no way of knowing that as a Virginia citizen and you want to take a trip to the capital for tourist reasons or for lobbying reasons or what have you uh, if if you did not know that in that small municipality within the state they have even more strict gun laws you could be violating the law without even knowing it thinking that ah, i'm abiding by virginia law so i'm going to go to richmond the capital of virginia and uh you know visit and carry my firearm thinking you're doing so lawfully well uh hb 421 says that locality can make gun laws even more strict and uh, you would be in violation without even knowing it. HB 674 is Virginia's red flag law. That's passed the House of Delegates. HB 812, which is the rationing bill where citizens will only be allowed to purchase one gun per month. Only one gun per month. Uh, HB 1004 gives you 24 hours to legally transfer guns if you're the subject of a protective order. And HB 1083 says it's illegal to leave a loaded firearm unsecured with possible access by a minor 18 or under. So if you have a, a bedstand that you keep a loaded firearm on while you sleep, if there's a minor in that house, you could be in violation of the law. Now, I could... I could talk to you a lot about what I think is responsible gun storage and how you need to strike that balance, again, between accessibility and security. But that is what I think is responsible. It's not me saying there ought to be a law to make you do what I think is responsible. I would rather just promote that responsibility through education and through talking to other gun owners. So there's Virginia on the march taking very seriously their opportunity that they have to uh, revoke as many Second Amendment freedoms from their citizens as possible. Stay tuned. We will be keeping track. Now, there is some good news amongst uh, states and local governments that there is an increasing number of sanctuary counties and cities, not just in Virginia, but all across the country. So Virginia is up to about 105 localities between counties and cities that uh, have declared themselves to be Second Amendment sanctuaries. There There are several other states that also have counties and municipalities that are declaring themselves to be sanctuary counties. For instance, Colorado, 23 out of 64 counties are sanctuary. Illinois, 63 out of 102 are sanctuary. Nevada has two counties, with a third likely to join them next month. New Mexico, 29 out of 33 sheriffs are declaring opposition to new pending gun control initiatives. And even in uh, my neighbor to the north, the state of New York, 52 out of 62 counties passed resolutions opposing the state's SAFE Act. So let's take a moment here and talk about the state's SAFE Act in New York. I bet you a lot of us remember when that was passed. Do you remember Governor Cuomo saying in front of the ca- uh, in front of the cameras, "No one needs ten bullets to kill a deer." And of course, he's assuming that the Second Amendment is strictly only about hunting, and he's going to make us all safer by uh, having a magazine capacity limit on the Secure Ammunition and Firearms Enforcement Act, the Safe Act. So there are. Many aspects of that bill, not just uh, minimum or maximum capacity in your magazines, but uh, it was restrictive enough. Even the governor himself described it as the toughest gun control law in the country. So 52 out of 62 counties passed resolutions opposing that, and the uh, New York State Sheriff Association sued to stop that law. North Carolina has had some counties recently become sanctuary counties. They're up to nine out of a hundred. Oregon, 13 out of 36 with more expected. Washington, over a dozen counties. Washington State, that is, over there on the left coast. Over a dozen out of 39 counties have declared themselves to be sanctuary counties. And, maybe you didn't know this, the entire states of Alaska, Idaho, and Kansas have declared themselves Second Amendment sanctuaries. It's kind of ironic that the Second Amendment is in our nation's constitution, but it is the the more local governments, the counties, municipalities, and in these cases states, that are actually making the hard stands to protect the Second Amendment freedoms. God bless them, and uh, may we proliferate across the country that it will trickle up to our Congress and uh, executive branches. Well, in my home state, Pennsylvania, we had a a little victory this uh, past week. There was a declaration, an official opinion, issued by the Attorney General, Joshua Shapiro, where he declared that uh, partially manufactured receivers were going to be susceptible to background checks upon purchase now there's a couple problems here one is the uh attorney general just says i say that these things are going to be uh, considered firearms and now we have to do background checks there was no legislative act on the uh, pennsylvania congress just the ag saying yeah these partially manufactured receivers these pieces of material uh, we're going to consider readily convertible to become firearms and thus subject to background checks. I have a problem with that. The state police were going to follow the orders of the uh, attorney general, of course, and begin enforcing that policy uh, based on his opinion. Now, a receiver is the part of the gun that receives ammunition. It houses the trigger assembly as well. So uh, I I built my own AR-15 a few years ago, and there was one part where I had to get the 4473 form filled out, and that was when I purchased a lower receiver. Now, I, I purchased that receiver fully manufactured, which means I didn't have to make any changes to that part to begin assembling my ar 15 It was ready to be assembled, and so it had a serial number on there, and that's what we used to run the background check. Okay, well, there is this 80% or this partially manufactured product where you can get for ARs or for pistols or whatever firearm you have, where you can get some material that has had some manufacturing processes performed on it, but not all of the necessary manufacturing process is performed so you still have to do some some cutting or some drilling before you can assemble this into a functioning firearm well a partially manufactured receiver as i just said i'm returning to my notes trying to figure out where i am Uh, somewhere between a hunk of metal or a hunk of plastic and being a fully manufactured part ready for assembly Uh, the material becomes classified as readily convertible, according to uh, Attorney General Shapiro's declaration. So the wording, in his opinion, uh, has been deemed sufficiently vague that it was not objectively knowable how many unperformed operations would qualify a piece of material to be classified as a partially manufactured receiver. So the case of the government... Uh, Excuse me, the case against the government was filed by the Firearms Policy Coalition within four days of the Attorney General's opinion. Uh, Representative from the uh, Firearms Policy Coalition uh, said in conjunction with this case, Today's order protects people from a dangerously vague interpretation of the law. As the court pointed out, a law is void on its face if it is so vague that a person of common intelligence must guess as to its meaning. And so with that argument, the Firearms Policy Coalition was able to put a stop to actions on the AG's opinion about partially manufactured receivers. Now that's going to be the end of it, right? No, it's not likely. I have another story here uh, to talk to you about. As soon as I tell you, Firearms Policy Coalition is located on the web at firearmspolicy.org. Now, these court cases, these actions, they all take money. I would encourage you to go to that website if you're so inclined. And at the top, there's a link for donating. And you can donate to their cause uh, to help defend freedom all across the country they are actually based in california but they involve themselves in this um, oppressive legislative action or declaration by the attorney general all the way over here in pennsylvania i appreciated it so much when i heard about it that i went to their website and i gave them a few bucks and joined so uh, attitude knowledge and skill is officially a member of the firearms policy coalition so that's the end of it right It's not the end of it. How far back in the manufacturing process can the government decide to regulate firearms? Okay, that was my question in this last story. How far back in a partially manufactured uh, receiver, at what point is it just a hunk of metal? uh, And when does it convert to a part that's readily convertible to a firearm? Well, how's this for an answer? Before the manufacturing even begins. Yeah, this next story is a bunch of attorneys general from a bunch of states trying to get uh, action that would declare plans for firearms to become illegal. That's before you even buy a material. Okay, so here's the... Here's the story. Now, there's before we start the story, there is this thing called ITAR, International Traffic in Arms Regulation, and it controls the export of items, services, and information for what they call SME, Significant Military Equipment. And it's, it's designed to prevent people in the United States to export things that could be used in significant military efforts against the United States. So that would include uh, things like tanks, high explosives, naval vessels, attack helicopters, and so on. And that has been typically enforced within the State Department. Well, the attorneys general from many states filed suit against the State Department because the State Department was turning over some of these items to the Commerce Department. All right, so what, what all does that mean? That means this, these attorneys general don't want citizens to be able to download computer files from the internet that can be used to produce gun parts from, 3, from 3D printers. So in the past, courts have ruled that computer source codes are protected speech under Amendment Number 1. So these codes that can be used in printers would... I think, obviously, fall under those court decisions where it says computer source codes are protected speech. So a 3D printer does not mark, all of a sudden, uh, the ability of the general public to manufacture their own firearms. Guess what? That's been going on for hundreds of years. What's changed are the tools and materials. So the, um, in the filing these uh, attorneys general said, quote, the proliferation of untraceable and undetectable weapons within the United States threatens to cripple the various states' extensive and comprehensive systems of firearms regulations designed to keep guns out of the wrong hands, unquote. In other words, hey, we can't control you. And you really got to Ask, are you so naive as to think still, and I guess the answer is yes, are you so naive as to think still that your regulatory actions are going to keep guns out of the wrong hands? It is the age-old question, the conundrum, (laughs) if you outlaw guns, only outlaws will will have guns. If you outlaw plans for making guns, only outlaws will have plans for making guns. This is not difficult logic. Criminals don't care what your gun laws are. Now hearken back to the opening of the show when I was talking about Nikki Goser's book. Stockton Defenseless. She was defenseless in a gun free zone because she was a law abiding citizen and she locked her carry gun in her car so she could eat at a restaurant that was gun-free with her husband. Her stalker came in, wasn't apparently concerned that it was a gun-free zone, and shot and killed her husband. So anyway, these attorneys general are concerned that they can't control you if you're able to download these off the internet. So the story is another example of the overlap of the First and Second Amendments. There are many. All right, how many attorneys general are we talking about? Well, let's see how good I am at uh, remembering the two letter state abbreviations. Deep breath California, Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, Hawaii, Illinois, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Minnesota, New Jersey, New York, North Carolina, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, Vermont, Virginia, and Washington. Widespread problems, there, folks. We have to keep our eye on these people 100% of the time. Well, thank goodness for the Firearms Protection Coalition, and thank goodness also for Joe Schmo, good guys with guns. How many of us have had parents tell us through uh, throughout growing up, particularly our teenage years, that nothing good happens after midnight? Well, I've raised my teenagers. I don't have any left anymore. And I have said something to that effect uh, many times when trying to instruct, uh, trying to enforce my curfews on these kids. Well, there was a Lyft driver that picked up a passenger around one o'clock in the morning. Uh, this was in Florida. I didn't mark that down in my notes, but this was in uh, Coral, Florida, or Cape Coral, Florida. So the Lyft driver picked up a passenger, a fare, at around one o'clock in the morning. The passenger's name was Adam Mormon and he pulled a knife and started telling the lift driver where to go. So I'm reading this story for the first time and I'm thinking, isn't the lift driver supposed to take you where you want to go anyway? What's the purpose of the knife? Don't get it myself. So Mormon I'm not talking about the religion. This is the guy's last name. Mormon began to brandish the knife and banged it on the dashboard. Do we know what brandish means? Brandish means to wave about in a threatening manner. He literally began to wave this knife around in a threatening manner to the driver. Uh, I'm guessing, since he banged it on the dashboard, that he was riding, as we say, shotgun in the front seat with the driver. Uh, And the driver had had enough pulled over and told Mormon to get out, and Mormon refused. He was not going to get out. The driver, who is nameless in this article, the driver drew his gun and repeated the order for the guy to get out. Well, Mormon had an epiphany and got wise and got out of the car and left. The driver notified the police. The police later caught up and arrested him, and he is now in jail awaiting trial. Now, here's here's the thing mentioned in the article is that uh, Lyft has a policy, as well as Uber, has a policy that this is a no-no, that their drivers are supposed to be disarmed in their own vehicles, that they're supposed to be disarmed while they are functioning as Uber or Lyft drivers. Now, folks, that is just flat out irresponsible, and you have a business that is uh, <laughs> infringing upon the rights of its you know, employees or contractors while they are in their own cars, their own property. Saying, yeah, while you're in your car, you can't carry your firearm to protect yourself against people that uh, know about you because of our app. Irresponsible. And I hope we never find out. I hope we never get a court case where an Uber driver or a Lyft driver has been uh, injured or killed because they were attacked by a criminal fare and they didn't defend themselves because they were obeying the policy. You know, there are states like in Tennessee that says, if your business posts a gun-free zone sign that you are assuming liability for the safety of your patrons. So if I leave my gun in my car while I come in and eat at your restaurant and something happens to me, uh, my wallet is stolen from a guy who uh, threatens me at gunpoint, or I'm injured, or my loved one is injured or killed, the business owner is held responsible for my loss because he He's the one who said you can't do business in here with me unless you leave your firearm outside. So anyway, uh, I would wonder if the same kind of case could be brought against Lyft and Uber, but I don't want to find out because I don't want to see anybody get hurt. All right, folks, thank you for tuning in to Attitude, Knowledge, and Skill. Remember, a good attitude, sound knowledge, and honed skill with firearms makes the world a safer place. We'll see you next time. Thanks again. This has been Attitude, Knowledge, and Skill, the podcast outreach of AKS Firearms Instruction. Find us on the net at AKSFI.com and AKS Firearms Instruction on Facebook. Go to the show notes for links to streaming services that carry this podcast, and please consider subscribing. Thank you for listening. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed.